Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. How do we prepare ourselves to enter certain space and differentiate it from other space in our life? Especially if it's space in which we're going to offer ritual or prayer, spiritual practice, experience. And what words do we say when we enter or maybe when we leave? It's very interesting that in uh, in the book of Numbers, there's this... Uh, extraordinary figure who's supposed to be a, a magical prophet of some kind who is uh, paid as a kind of spiritual mercenary to go and curse the Jewish people because they, they're so mighty and he stands on a cliff and he sees he looks out and he sees this incredible encampment of all of the different tribes and their tents and their banners and he's trying to curse but what actually comes out are the the iconic words Ma tovu Israel. how goodly are your tents O Jacob your dwelling places O Israel and this has become the traditional liturgy that we say when we enter a synagogue when we enter a holy space as if to say look at these tents look at these places where where Jewish people meet and so it just begs that question of um, what it means to enter holy space, to acknowledge holy space. So I'm here uh, again with uh, Reverend Marielsa Bragg. Um, we spoke about ritual and the power of ritual. And we're going to sort of continue that conversation and focus a little bit on entering and, and leaving holy space and some of the words that we say when we, when we enter those those spaces in our two um, different traditions, in Jewish tradition and Christian tradition, and uh, just explore that a little bit. So, hello, hello, again. Hi, lovely to be here again. What, what's the first thing that, that comes to you when, you when you consider this question of entering sacred space or making space sacred so that we can perform certain rites in it? Well, I think it's a beautiful um, passage. I mean, obviously sacred spaces are around us all the time, but to become aware of that, but to become aware of that and to um, have a ritual that just helps us enter into it, I think is probably um, one of the most special things that I, that I experience in my daily routine. I, I, I'm aware of the um, sense of a tabernacle. And I was just thinking, uh, when you were talking there, I was thinking actually about even just going to people's homes and um, kissing my finger, touching the mezuzah as I walk in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about really understanding what the threshold is and we have these thresholds inside ourselves don't we and it reminds you to sort of centre yourself and become aware of what's really there when we walk in mm-hmm. in the churches we have a font uh, with water um, and not only are you reminding yourself of your baptism or and cleansing yourself which is what we talked about last week a bit um, but you're, you're, you're bringing the holy water into your being um, as you walk through and it's like crossing a lake because in the very early mystics the very early Christian hermits were often found on an island in the middle of a lake that was very traditional certainly mm. up north as well it was a, so that, uh, that would be a place 
that you would pass water to get to. So the baptism kind of reflects that, yeah. um, but it's a very uh, a sense of having to go across perhaps the emotional world, the cleansing world, this water of life, all the old texts that we both have so strongly sure. about the fountain of life. Sure. And, and many traditional synagogues do have um, washing basins and special cups outside the synagogues, and there is many people have that tradition of washing, not just the f- as the first thing, which I spoke about last week, that we do when we wake up in the morning, but mm. before we enter into the space of a synagogue that we wash. And mosques, of course, have that outside the mosques, mm. <clears throat> um, where there's the practice of washing both hands and feet, which we also talked about last week. But there's something, something of, of great power in marking and delineating space for different activities that we would do. Mm. I was mentioning you to before that I I spent some time in a in a Zen Buddhist monastery and just there's something about that ritual of bowing and bowing to say I'm leaving one type of space and I'm entering another type of space, mm. whether it's a physical space or just a different emotional or spiritual space. It's mm. seems to be um a, an important and powerful idea. Because, you know, I think part of having a spiritual life is being able to make those distinctions. Mm. You know, we're not, yes, in, in mystical traditions, of course, you know, we say in Hebrew, Einod Milvado, there's nothing that doesn't have God's presence in it. Mm. But still, in order to perform certain spiritual practices and rituals, we need to still delineate time and space in mm. different ways. Like, of course, the. Shabbat and Sabbath traditions about marking different time, but space is also very important. I think it does, and I think it helps us enter into space with each other in different ways, understanding how delicate we are um, and how robust we need to be. And it was Yeats who, who wrote, Tread softly because you tread on my dreams. So knowing when your hearts are open and knowing when your hearts need to be a little bit protected and you're going to the outside world, and watching, watching, you know, your partner, your friends, the people around you, the community, watching how uh, how to hold the right kind of place for the right uh, relationship to be really fulfilled. But I was thinking it was very interesting. I was thinking about the idea of tents, and I was remembering um, when we were uh, new North London. I was remembering how the tallet would be pulled over the head, and I remember being in a group of women sewing, making our own tallets and having a go at, at putting it over our heads to pray. Um, I, I took mine to, to um, ordination college mm. and prayed with it every morning. Um, it was quite a beautiful thing to do because for me our traditions are, are ultimately the same tradition. Um, we have the same roots. and um, But I was thinking about how that is in the church and there is a tabernacle over a pulpit traditionally because you're then using scripture and the, you know, the Hebrew Bible and the, the New Testament will be read at that time. And the t- tabernacle is over that. And there's a sort of tabernacle with the, um, the uh, rail, altar rail before the altar. But also the laying on of the altar cloth is like a, is like a tabernacle over this sacred space. So there's something about tenting, there's something about pulling... Um, cloth over ourselves, making a sky within a sky, holy mm. heavens with it, you know, under the heavens. Uh, there's something about that that's a really important affirmation, I think, in this text we're talking about. Absolutely, the idea that an ohel in Hebrew a tent is an ohel, and an ohel is a 
a physical structure, but it also, of course, represents... Um, in fact, there's a, it's a parallel, interesting, I mean, biblical... Scholars would say that, you know, it's, it's, it's biblical, it's parallelism, because you've got um, Yaakov and Yisrael are parallel in the structure of the verse, and then Ohel and Mishkan, two words that Mishkan is actually the t- a tabernacle. You mentioned tabernacle. Ohel is actually tent. Mm-hmm. But the two words are used sort of interchangeably, mm-hmm. and there's different interpretations of, of what, what they might mean, and there's traditional ideas that the Ohel, the tent, refers to the the um, houses of learning um, throughout history and the Mishkan refers to the houses of prayer mm-hmm. and there's this idea that prayer and learning which are so fundamentally uh, important in Jewish tradition are sort of both reflected in that in, in that verse but also the idea of Mishkan the word <coughs> Mishkan Matovo Ahalecha Yaakov Mishkanatecha your Mishkan your tabernacles um, are it's this, it has within it the root of Shekhinah, and Shekhinah is is the divine and imminent presence of God, which is which is seen as a feminine presence, and that's from that same root, the Shakain, to dwell, God's dwelling presence. But the idea that we can bring that presence down through these rituals, like you're saying, with with cloth, with bringing bringing Shekhinah, bringing that divinity within ourselves through through the ritual of a talit. And and, and 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 wrapping ourselves in a talit, and and yeah, some of the other, I mean, the curtain of the ark, and there's different different symbols in in a synagogue that have that sense to it, mm. and it also ties to to a sukkah. You know, at that time we talked actually about yeah. sukkah a bit last week too. But so there's something about um, uh, the tent and the tabernacle which brings learning and prayer together which allows ourselves us to be surrounded and take it in. I'm reminded also that when you do the, the candle ritual, when a woman does a candle yeah. ritual, or any, anyone I suppose in the form does a candle, candle ritual on a Shabbos, you then cover your eyes with it, you bring it into your eyes, and you are slightly covering yourself as well, or you're mm-hmm. bringing it in, and it has the same impact in mm-hmm. a way as bringing a tallit over your, your body. So you're taking, and I think taking the Shekinah in, which is almost like the pre-voice, isn't it? at the beginning of a service, just before we're about to really speak together in, um, in, a, in a church service, the first thing you would do is, um, after saying, oh Lord, open our lips, the first thing you do is you all say the Shema together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, obviously um, a very old prayer that, prayer that brings us all together, one voice, one people, one ancestry, one history. Um, but it's a very beautiful evocation of the voice when you've sort of been brought into this presence, this silent being, the Shekinah. Mm-hmm. And there's something really powerful about the preparing for those um, spiritual experiences and, and there's something about attuning both our own voices that are going to come in through words of prayer mm. um, so open our lips that mm. that our mouths will declare your praise as if you know which mm. of course we, we have that uh, verse in Jewish tradition right before we say the the Amidah that central w- prayer of worship but mm. but also that we're it's both the hear the words we're going to speak and the words we're going to hear because prayer has got to be this delicate Kind of dance between what we say and what we hear, and the mm. the ability to listen. So Shema Israel, like hear, hear Israel. But also one of the very first bits of liturgy 
uh, in the morning service in what's known as the Pesuke de Zimra, which are the, the psalms and songs, as we say, Blessed is the one who spoke and the world came into being, as if to say, we're about to speak words of prayer, and we acknowledge that speech is so powerful that it was it was speech and word that really brought the universe into being and so we too with words of prayer can can create you know we can use words to create or we can use words to destroy and so if we're using words of prayer that are thoughtful and conscious and coming from mm-hmm. a place of love we can actually through our the words that we're going to say we can create you know love and healing in this world and so mm-hmm. And we have to have that refined ability both to listen and to be careful Mm. in how we use our speech. Mm. So it's preparing us to really be open enough and open-hearted enough to feel the impact of words, our words. Once we're saying these prayers that have been said by generations and even just saying them, even when we don't feel like it, even when there are days that we just can't, we can hardly bring ourselves to do it, somehow those words impact us. Um, because we've prepared ourselves to, to, to say them, or we've silenced ourselves before we say them. But then there's that, that I, I do love the image of open our mouths. It's like, like chicks, isn't it, with their mouths <laughs> open, <laughs> for the word, to receive the words in like food, um, mm. to really be, to be able to allow ourselves to be impacted like that and, and fed somehow. Yeah, I just, I'm just thinking that in the same passage where uh, Bilam ends up saying these these words earlier on in that story. It says, you know, God opened the mouth of his donkey uh, uh. because the donkey was seeing what he couldn't see. He was seeing the 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 angel of God who was saying, like, stop! This is a crazy mission. Yeah. Stop going on this mission to curse these people, like, you know. And then and then the and then after hitting him, you know, hitting the donkey three times, it says God opened the mouth of the ass mm-hmm. of the donkey, the chamor, and 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 then the, the ass speaks. So it's like this, this really interesting parallel between that idea of opening our mouths. Like, yeah. is it do we 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 need help sometimes opening mm. our mouths? And then it says it. And then it says God opened Bilam's eyes. So some some parallel between opening our eyes and opening our mouths, and sometimes we need help with that because sometimes our eyes are open but we're not actually seeing what's in front of us, and sometimes our mouths are open but we're using careless and harmful words rather than than healing words. Yeah, and I often say from the mouths of babes, we have to to to, to look to where the where those messages come from, and the, you know, great literary tradition of often you, you you walk past and a beggar is telling the truth. What does it take? For us to, to, to be ground, how much of life needs to grind us down before we can just be a conduit for the truth. But it's quite interesting, the idea of mouths and uh, uh, truth coming out of the mouths of babes, because we can um, believe we're preparing ourselves to hear uh, the, the messages, but we can be very idealistic about what they are. We can want them to all be beautiful and um, believe that if we're listening to the Shema, we're listening to God it will be um, the kind of loving that's like idealistic. Whereas actually, um, what was happening you know, it, with, with the donkey was a very harsh awakening um, coming through. And, and, and to be able to be that vulnerable and hear a message that, that, that's that difficult, you're about to do something really destructive, stop. Um, and still know that there's this kind of unconditional love behind that, mm. I think is... The depth that the tabernacle tries to to build into us those 
that in bringing us home again and again and again so we can remember that it's there and that life and our relationship with God doesn't have to be idealistic and ever, ever beautiful. We can listen to the difficult messages somehow and still feel like we're held in this tent. Mm. So what I'm hearing in that is is that if we if we consciously through whether it's you know washing rituals or cloth rituals or lighting candles or bowing what whatever it is we do to make um, a space into a sort of tabernacle type space a mm-hmm. mishkan type space once we've really created that possibility we have the possibility of a real authentic relationship which could be hearing harsh messages that really wake us up mm. and could be just loving and healing messages that we both mm. hear and speak um, but that we the more we prepare for that kind of spiritual reality the more mm. um, possibility we have to to enter it yeah and I think I think for me sometimes and this is very personal but for me when I enter into it um, if I really uh, manage to find that place sometimes just really remembering that I'm loved is actually more difficult than hearing hearing the things I've done wrong or looking at what's happening Mm. in the world and how I might be able to change my contribution or how I need to grow more in order to be of more service. Those things are really important to me or how I might need to grow my relationships. Mm. But to really take in that I'm loved you know what's so beautiful about that is traditionally the verses you say right after there's a blessing that you say as you put on your talit, uh, which is ashek sham which is saying you know you've made us holy through the commandments and you've commanded us to wrap ourselves in, in I mean literally tzitzit which is the fringes more than cloth of that anyway that's but then traditionally we say these amazing verses from Psalms where we say maya like how precious is your loving kindness. So we're, we're wrapped up in this cloth, which, like you said, is kind of has that energy of tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And we're saying, like, how precious is your love? Like, yeah. we're, we're embracing ourselves with, with God's love mm-hmm. in order that we can know how loved we are. Oh, that's really beautiful. So we're coming to the end of our time. I'm just wondering if there's anything else that needs to be said about sacred transitions and prayer and holiness there's so much more we could say but I think in the in the in the uh, moving in we find a, a, a vulnerability that is so important to remember in life while we you know in between our racing around or our struggling or our work but to remember to move out as well mm. Finding appropriate places is being able to walk in and then honour it and walk back out again and, and know that we can move in and out of these sacred spaces and they're there for us, but let's protect them. Mm. Let's, let's keep keep an eye on when... Sometimes it just happens automatically and you think, oh, there's a presence here, honouring that and then closing mm. down somehow. Mm. That's a real gift, I think, of of spiritual traditions they give us that they give us that capacity to to open ourselves and close ourselves and go you know there's a a powerful teaching of um 
of the Kotzka Rebbe, a Hasidic Rebbe, who says, like, when it talks about the words of the Shema, it says that they should be Alvavecha on your heart. Mm. And, and he asks, like, why doesn't it say Bilvavecha inside your heart? It says on your heart. And uh, the answer he gives is that our hearts cannot always be open. And so the words are there for the moments when we do open our hearts and then they come inside us. And it's like the same, we can't, we can't be living, most of us, I mean, some, I think some holy people can, but most of us can't be living every moment as sort of holy people. Mm. We're in and out of, of, of enjoying the, the wonderful, the wonderful uh, physical aspects of this world. And then we, we, we choose to integrate those with moments of profound holiness and, and sacred acts and spiritual traditions and practices. Mm. So thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. I do feel that happens in our conversations, Mark. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you. I hope so. Thank you. Thank you for listening to a dash and rush. We will see you next time.